We have been looking at these vision statements about things that we hope characterize us as a church, as a gathering of the Lord's people. And uh, we've explored how as a local church we desire to be glorifying to our God and centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and grounded in the Word. And uh, this morning we're looking at the next of these statements, which is that we desire to be local church orientated. Now, what does that mean? It means that we believe that the Bible teaches that the local church is at the heart of God's plan as a believing community that loves Christ and loves each other. And when these other things in place, where we desire to glorify God and to be centered on Christ and to be grounded in his word, when those things are in place, then we will have a right view of the local church. And we will love her and treasure her because the Lord Jesus loves his church. Now, the Bible is clear that God has purpose for his people to be knit together in local bodies, local families, to worship him and serve him and love him and love one another. And as I said, the local church, when you look through the New Testament, is central to what God has planned regarding his purposes on earth. And so your understanding of what the church is will shape your life and your living before the Lord. Now, as an uh, under-shepherd, it is a privilege to serve you in that role, but also it's a, a heavy burden, sometimes an unbearable burden, but only his upholding keeps. And those of us who preach and seek to shepherd the church are continually burdened for the life and the care of the church. We have real longings for you. And uh, my heart is that each of us would have that deeper fellowship with the Lord Jesus, that we would have deeper relationships with each other, that we would be a, a holy people who, who love the word and have confidence in the word. And there's also a, a great concern for the future of the work. And now we need a new generation of those who can lead and workers that are committed in the work, desiring too that this little flock could be protected from satanic deception, from grievous wolves, that will come in from outside and also strive from the inside. Ultimately, the heart is that the beautiful bride of Christ will be able to reflect the glory of their bridegroom so that many will be led to salvation. And friends, when you come to the New Testament, it doesn't take long to see so clearly that the majority of it is written to local churches. And yet the doctrine of the church and particularly the role of the local church has been really undermined and consistently attacked. And we've seen that sort of blown apart in the last couple of years as well. And there are many reasons not to go to church. And the world, the enemy, will do all he can to cement those things in your thinking. And we know that we live in a society where generally there is a lack of commitment and loyalty and things have become increasingly individualized. And really we could say there's, a, there's an acute consumer mentality. You know, when something doesn't give us what we want, then, well, we just discard it and we'll, we'll get something different which we hope might meet that need. And that thinking really has impacted the way even believers Consider church, even the language that people use. You know, where maybe they're looking for a church suggests that thinking. People talk about shopping around. You know, looking only at what a church does for them, not what they can do for the church. 
And it suggests that being in a church is just really a, a matter of preference, so any loyalty only lasts while the church meets those needs. But that attitude misses the importance of what Paul speaks about in Philippians 2, where he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And you'll know that as Paul goes on under the Spirit in that passage, that he then gives the greatest example being the Lord Jesus, who came and humbled himself to die on the cross. That denial of, of self. You know, I read of one pastor who said, no one gets the church they want, but everyone gets the church they need. And we all need churches that call us to something greater than ourselves. We need churches that call us finally to God himself. And when we follow the example of Jesus, when we live with, with him as the priority, denying self, we get the church we need. Now, this morning, we're not going to look at every aspect of life in the local church. I want to just impress upon you why the local church is so important. This special institution that God has created in this world to glorify the Lord Jesus. In fact, it is the only organization, if we can call it that, that the Bible says that God has explicitly promised to bless and the Bible uses a number of pictures to describe the church. He speaks of the family and the household of God. He speaks of the body of Christ, the, the temple of the Spirit, the pillar and ground of the truth, the, the bride of Christ, the flock of Christ, and many more. And these different pictures tell us about a, a group of people, sinners saved by grace, who've been brought to know Christ, who love him, and have been brought together, committed together to love him and love one another. You know, you can't be part of the true church unless you know Jesus for yourself. You know, don't be under any illusion. You're not part of a church just by coming along or anything. You need to know Christ first and foremost. And I pray that you would and you turn from your sin and trust him. And this world, this world is so broken, it is fallen, it is dark, it is sin ravaged and it is under the sway of the evil one. And we look around and we see that Satan's influence is, is seen all around us and also in many earthly institutions. But in contrast, the church, the local church, is the possession of Christ. It is bought with his blood and it is to shine brightly in such a, a dark setting against such a, a dark backdrop. I mentioned a, a number of weeks ago one who says this, the depth of darkness makes the starlight even more wonderful. The impossibility of a set of circumstances can be used to show his splendor. And that's true of the church. We're to shine brightly even in a dark situation. And in the plan of God, the church has been given this incredible privilege of, of showing his praise and exalting his name and declaring the wonderful gospel in a world without hope to proclaim that there is hope, hope through Jesus. It is a, a stunning calling. And so it follows that if the local church has such a role according to the plan of God, to the furtherance of the kingdom of God, then it should be at the forefront of all gospel endeavors at home and abroad. 
Now, we know, don't we, there are many uh, worthy parachurch organizations that have emerged and that do great things. But often those organizations emerge because churches stop doing what they should have been doing. And friends, however small we may be, we may and must not lose that vision for gospel outreach and mission and care. Penzance needs not only the preaching of the gospel, it needs the the community that is shaped by the gospel to shine brightly in the midst. So what is the local church? Very simple question. And where do we see it in Scripture? Well, the word church in the New Testament, it should be a simple thing to know. It never refers to a building or a place. It always speaks of a people. And it either speaks of the entire number of believers who have have ever lived or will ever live or a a local group of those believers. So firstly, you have the, the universal church. So the New Testament teaches that all the redeemed of all the ages belong to the church eternal, the blood-bought people of God, the bride of Christ. And so, for example, you have Ephesians 1. And Paul says in verses 22 to 23, God, having raised Christ from the dead, above all rule and authority, put all things under his feet and gave him, speaking of Jesus, to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that's speaking of the universal church, all the Lord's people, all the redeemed who are in Christ, united to him by sovereign grace from every tribe and language and nation from all ages. And in that sense, there is only ever one church, one body, the universal church. But then in the New Testament, we also have local churches. And the other use is concerning defined fellowships and groups of believers that are committed together as a people in a particular place. And so sometimes it could be in a city, other times it could be in a smaller situation like a home. And in fact, the word church, ecclesia, is found in the New Testament over 110 times. At least 90 Of those times, it refers to the church in these local terms, local manifestations of that universal body. So, for example, Acts 11.22, news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Acts 13, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. 1 Corinthians 1, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 16, the churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Colossians 4, Paul sends greetings to Nymphas and the church that is in his house. Even the letter to Philemon, he addresses it to the church in your house. So in each setting, believers are brought together under the hand of God to meet together, to worship, to serve together, to come alongside one another, to carry out the mission that the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, has given to them. And so, simply, a local church is a gathered group of baptized believers committed together to meet regularly to worship God, a place where the Word of God is proclaimed in truth, 
where the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's table are administered biblically within the biblical structure of a, a believing membership with duly appointed elders and deacons. And so this will be the place where discipline is implemented correctly. And we, we long to be that under the Lord and a local church where these things are evident, where there is discipleship, where leaders are being trained and raised up, where members are being established and built up, where there are those who are being reached for the gospel. A fellowship where relationships are healthy and God-honoring and a spiritual environment where the Lord can entrust new believers in him. A family of the Lord's people brought together, staying together, even though difficulties come. These are the things that we long to see in evidence in our midst. And so the local church is a vital part of God's plan. You know, often I get asked, and this is another question I want to answer now, why are you an independent church? And sometimes there's a real misunderstanding because we're called Penzance Baptist Church. People think that we're part of a denomination. Well, we believe that the Bible teaches the independency and what we call the autonomy of the local church. And so there's no such thing as the Baptist Church, we are not part of a Baptist denomination. There are only local Baptist churches. And so the local Baptist church here at Clarence Street were, were our own headquarters, as it were. No individual or organization or entity outside of the local church has any authority or control over that congregation. Nor do we have any authority over any others. The Lord Jesus alone is head of each local church he is head of this church and each congregation under God is at liberty to minister as it discerns the will of God in accordance with what the Bible teaches and so there's no outside hierarchy that that has authority over the local church and that is our state today and you say well where do you see that in the Bible well let me give you an example turn if you will to Acts chapter 8 Acts chapter 8 and uh, there you have the church at Antioch now in Acts uh, 8 following the the death of Stephen the church at Jerusalem was scattered and the believers took the gospel wherever they were scattered and initially it was mostly to Jewish communities but then sorry Acts 11 I meant to say but then in Acts 11, we find that there are also those who are used to point a number of Gentiles to the Lord Jesus. And so God begins to do a great work, and he blesses, and what happens is this. News comes back to the Jerusalem church about what God was doing in Antioch. And so the church of Jerusalem, they send Barnabas to go and see what's taking place. And uh, they send Barnabas to give encouragement and advice. You know, it's interesting, by the way, they didn't send one of the apostles, but Barnabas, who went to see the situation and the emergence of this local church. Now, it seems that the situation was so encouraging, you can see this in verse 30, etc., that there is no record that Barnabas went back with a report after he went to Antioch. He stayed and he worked alongside Paul, and then he was appointed by the church at Antioch to convey relief funds to the churches in Judea. So he becomes a, a part of the fellowship there at Antioch. 
And then a little while later in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are set aside by the Holy Spirit, recognized and set apart by the church in Antioch to be involved in missionary service. So the church at Antioch does that, not the church at Jerusalem. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, it is a spirit-given insight into a properly constituted, set-up local church that was separate from the one in Jerusalem. God established a, another church in Antioch who was going forward in gospel work, who was organizing itself under the Lord, and also had the authority to do things not only in local ministry, but to send out missionaries. And so it's also interesting that Paul was recognized as an apostle, but he was serving the church in Antioch. He was the only one not to have been in membership in the Jerusalem church. And so it's an independent work. Now, friends, one thing that I do need to make clear is this. Independence doesn't mean isolation. And though they are independent, each under the head of the church, the New Testament teaches that where gospel churches can, they should encourage one another and support each other practically and spiritually and pray for each other. You know, and how that looks is for another time. But like-minded churches working together can be a great blessing where that exists on that solid foundation of what the Scriptures say. Now, sadly, you look through your church history, it doesn't take long for man to move away from the biblical pattern and create all sorts of man-made governing structures with extra elaborate offices, you know, often elaborate clothes as well, Totally contrary to what the Bible says. The dangers of which are still around today. But the Lord loves his churches. Each one is precious to him and he will bless where his word is obeyed. And so you have this picture of these groups of believers being brought together, knit together, committed together in particular places to do the work that the Lord has for them to do. And it's precious to the Lord. You know, the faithful local church is precious to the Lord Jesus. If we love him, we will love what he loves. Think of Ephesians 5. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, friends, I find it today a great comfort, and I've needed comfort. But it is a great comfort to know that Jesus really is building his church, even when it doesn't appear like that. But the church that he purchased with his own blood, it belongs to him. And all that was necessary in the salvation of his people, the redemption of his, his church, he has done. He has accomplished. You know, he came down from heaven. He took to himself human flesh. He lived that perfect life. He died that substitutionary death on the cross in the place of his people. He rose in triumph. His work was accepted in heaven and he, he was exalted to the right hand of God, seated on the throne. And he's alive today, ruling and reigning. And if he's done all of that, we can be sure that he will build his church just as he said. And so each true gospel church is a stunning creation of the Holy Spirit, is a, a glorious body, and that's true even here. Well, the world despises. And the gathering of the Lord's people is to, to glorify him and reflect his holiness and be full of his truth, and we should do all that we can to seek the good of the church, of the local body, and make her a great concern and priority in our lives. 
And, you know, we, we get from it what we put in. And, you know, we need to be in the work. Otherwise, we miss out on those blessings that the Lord has for us. To be part of the body, whatever part it may be, it is essential. And with this in mind, it's not a surprise that the enemy and his hosts are doing all they can to destroy gospel churches. He hates the local church. He will do anything he can to ruin and disturb and demean them. And when a church divides and departs from the truth or is hit with some scandal, the damage and effects can be far-reaching through a local community, and it's a tragedy. And, you know, when we consider ourselves and we're faced with so many challenges and here we are, a, a little church and surrounded by people who are blind to the truth and no interest in the gospel, and then we look beyond that and we see a, a, a big wide world that is in turmoil, the task just seems too much for us. See churches, troubles within, troubles without, and we can struggle at that point to see the beauty and glory of the local church. And in such a weakened state, we can be tempted to think that the church is anything but glorious, anything but precious. But the Bible says she is both of those things. And what seems unremarkable to the world is precious to the Lord. You know, a local church made up of his people joined together, centered on Christ, grounded in the word, with the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, is beautiful in his sight. Beauty that isn't recognized in this world, but is pleasing to a master. And it confounds the world. It, it honors the Lord when it stands faithful under his hand. It is a precious jewel in the universe with a mission which sees all of the biblical endeavors, no matter how small, take on eternal significance. And we need to remember that. We need to remember it. And that's why as we draw these things together now, I want us to remind ourselves that the fact that Jesus is in the midst of his churches. And we see that in Revelation 1, and we need to ever remind ourselves of this wonderful vision of our Savior. And following the ascension of the Lord Jesus, the, the gospel went out, spread in a remarkable way. Sinners were saved. Local churches were established for the worship of God and gospel witness. And it's towards the end of this period that the Apostle John is given this revelation. And he is given to see this vision of the Lord Jesus, the, the head of the church, and then it is followed by messages to encourage the churches, to rebuke the churches, to challenge them. And really, they are representative of all gospel age churches with, with their joys and with their sorrows, with their victories and with their sins. Now, it's interesting. When you look at this vision, John sees seven golden lampstands, which he is told stand for the seven churches. Now, in the Old Testament age, Israel was represented by the seven-branched lampstand, the menorah. But now, you know, they, they came together, didn't they? Maybe you can picture a menorah and what it looks like. But now the lampstand representing the churches, they are aligned, but they're separate. Now, it's interesting. Many say that speaks of the independence of the churches, the fact that each is answerable to Christ, who is able to remove individual lampstands where there is sin or failure. 
Think of Revelation 2. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And the Lord does that at times. And we shouldn't be ignorant of that fact. There are churches that were and that are not now because of that. And when you consider the lampstand, it's such a telling picture of what we are to be as a local church called to shine with gospel truth and divine righteousness in a dark world. The church is designed to illuminate the hearts of minds of sinners with the gospel. But, you know, for all of that, it is the Lord Jesus in the midst that is so precious. Verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Jesus is in the midst of his churches. And what is he doing there? And uh, we've mentioned this before, but it's good to be reminded. Well, we see that the Lord Jesus is interceding for his church. Look at verse 13 of Revelation 1. In the vision, we're told that the Savior is clothed in a robe which reaches down to his feet. Across his chest is a golden sash or belt and really the, the clothes of the Old Testament high priest. And really that's telling us that the Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his people. You know, I, I love you in the Lord. But you know, his heart is infinitely more for you. You know, I, I know that a number of you share with me that, that longing that the church will grow and go on. But the Lord's desire for that is infinitely more than ours could ever be. We have a merciful and faithful high priest who comes to the aid of those who are tempted, and that is such an encouragement to me. You know, I think of Hebrews 3, 6. It's a lovely verse. But Christ as a son over his own house. He is faithful over his house. And even when it seems as though the struggle is too great, when life seems so difficult, when the way forward seems unclear, we can know that he will bring his sons to glory because he ever lives to intercede for them. As one explains, he has an unequaled an undiminished devotion and sympathy with his beloved through all their dangers, all their trials, all their temptations, they are ever on his heart. And in the midst of the churches, Jesus prays for his people. And also we see verses 14 to 15 that the Lord Jesus is purifying his church. You know, we don't often think about this vital and necessary process in the life of the church says his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And so the Lord Jesus, described like this, with these striking features, white hair, like white wool, like snow, speaks of his purity. His eyes like flaming fire, which have that penetrating quality that can gaze into the deepest corner of every life to search out iniquity. And when he finds it, his feet are like fine brass and they are able to move in chastening every son whom he loves. He scourges and chastens to purify. As one says, it is more important to him that the church be glorious, be without spot and wrinkle and blemish, to be holy and blameless than it ever is to us. He wants to present his church holy and pure and above reproach and he is working to that end today. 
And he's proclaiming his truth in the church. Look at verse 15. You know, this wonderful imagery, his voice as the sound of many waters, that commanding authority. And he speaks through his word. And the church of Jesus Christ is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We looked at that last time. And then we can also have confidence, and I speak to myself in this, that the Lord Jesus is supplying his servants for his church. Verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, seven angelos, seven messengers, verse 20. And I would agree where we see them as those who are representative of those who are leaders in the churches, pastors, teachers. God will always have his men. I need to remind myself of that. You know, we, even this past week, John and I have been involved in conversations with EPMT and things like that. Future of the work. You know, where will be those who are going to serve in the future? But God will always have his men. He will raise them up. He will have his servants, his messengers in his hand, even when we can't see where they'll come from. And the Lord Jesus is dealing with deceivers in the church. Look at verse 16. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. You know, Jesus takes error in the church very seriously. Those of us who serve him must always be watchful and prayerful and battle against any error in the church. But the concern of Jesus, the head of the church, for that is so much more. Again, one explains the little power his shepherds wield on this earth can't compare with the exalted and crowned Christ enthroned in heaven and the sword that comes out of his mouth to deal with deceivers and those who proclaim error. The Lord is dealing with that. And then the Lord is reflecting his glory through the church. Verse 16, his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And the Lord is pleased to reflect his glory through his church for his people. He puts himself on display in his church. You know, you may not think it of yourself, but as miracles of grace... When you live for him and speak of him, you are a shining testimony of transformed lives. Believers who by the grace of God are being changed from one level of glory to the next, conform to Jesus Christ, you reflect something of his glory. And all of these things, and we've just gone through them very briefly, Jesus is doing He's ever at work, and I need, we need, like John, to see again that Christ is head of the church, that Christ is in the midst of his churches, and he is empowering, he's interceding, he's teaching, he's purifying, he's commanding, he's intervening, he's saving, he is gathering his church without fail. And friends, what he is doing all around this world, I believe he can do in Penzance. And we need to believe it. And we need to be faithful in the work that he has called us to do. And it is a, a comfort to know that when we can be tempted to despair, when the circumstances make it seem like the cause of Christ is falling apart, but it's not. Because Christ is in the midst and he will accomplish his purposes. The local church is so important and central to God's plan to exalt his son, and that alone makes it precious. And friends, we know that gospel churches in this world, this side of glory, will never be perfect because they'll consist of imperfect believers. You know, they've got people like me in them. 
we're aware that we're not as we should be. We stumble and we fail and we have to expect that there'll be times when tensions will arise, when unity will be challenged, and those times can be difficult, but we have to remember then that we are sinners saved by grace and that we are works in progress and we strive to pursue peace, submission to the word of God. Do I remember hearing an illustration a long time ago and the man who shared it said, imagine the church as something like waves rolling over rocks. So the waves are the sort of day-to-day life and the life of a local church and the rocks are you and other church members. Uh, Day after day, year after year, the waves flow and crash without ceasing and they, they rush over the rocks and each rock kind of jostles. Sometimes the rocks jostle against each other. And from month to month, there doesn't seem to be too much difference, too much change. But over the years, even over the decades, changes are taking place. And as the waves crash and the the rocks jostle against one another, their rough edges become increasingly smooth. And they take on a a polish which catches the glint of the sun. And no two rocks emerge from the process in exactly the same shape as it were, but they've been shaped together and shaped in the likeness of the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2 coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And though we may not recognize it, that is what is happening day by day, month by month, year by year. And one day, friends, Christ will return in glory. One day the whole church will be perfect and complete and without spot, fit for a heavenly bridegroom. And we are all looking to that day and working for that day. And we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and as he graciously applies the scriptures to us that the work will advance to his honor and to his glory. And we must never cease watching and praying over the work here. And we have to stand together Responsive to the word, listening, learning to our great head, the Lord Jesus, knowing that this is his work and he will do it. The local church is important. And I pray that it would be said of Clarence Street and in fact all gospel churches of our day, in our locality and beyond, just like Acts 9.31, then the churches had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. May the Lord be pleased to do it for his glory. This is his work. It is precious to him and it should be precious to us. Amen.